uh, as a lot of you know, there was a major event that happened in Los Angeles this weekend. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a Garth Brooks concert, and uh, thousands of people were at the Staples Center, you know, singing about pickup trucks and drinking and boot scoot boogie stuff. But uh, did he even sing that? I'm not a, no. <laughs> That's how much country I know. Um, so all these people were coming and they were, they're singing all these songs at the Staples Center. And I was actually across the street at the Nokia Theater. And across the street at the Nokia Theater, there were thousands of college students that were singing to God as loud as they could, just worshiping, you know, just screaming out. And it was just an absolute rush. It's just an absolute rush, kind of starting the tour. In a couple of weeks, we'll be out in Texas doing the same thing. And... Um, and, and then on just through the rest of the world. But it's just such a rush getting these college students together. And they're just screaming out praise to God. And just surrendering their lives to God. Saying, God, we want our lives to count for something. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe we can have an impact in this world. And just to worship with them. Man, last night, so they're jumping up and down. Just screaming. It's been going on all weekend. And, uh, and I'm driving home last night. Home from the Nokia Theater. It's about midnight. Pouring down rain. And I'm just on this high, right? Just an absolute high, like, this was so cool. I love my life. I love what I get to do. And then I woke up for church this morning, and I thought, I'm too old for this. I, you know, just like, oh, I'm just exhausted. And, and driving over here, i got to be honest with you, part of me was a little bummed. Like, man, I am just too tired. I can't do this. And I go, God, I just experienced something so amazing. And now, you know, church service Man, I'm excited. I love you. I love our church. I love everything that's going on. But just so tired. I'm like, God, I don't know if I can, you know, speak four times after everything emotionally. You know, just because when you're you're just going on adrenaline, you know, for, for 24, 48 hours, whatever. And then, you know, you come here and I'm like, okay, God, do something great. Do something great. I don't want to just preach another sermon. And then last service was so cool. Like it was better than the rest of the weekend. There were some things that God did just last service, and I'm like, oh, no one else gets to experience some of this. But I thought, okay, I just asked the video guys, oh, can we show them a clip from the end of service? Because it was this one baptism that I did that I just want to show you because we, we talked about, it was amazing how God orchestrated because we were talking about living out your faith in such a way that it's real to your children and for your children to own their own faith because, you know, you, you, you can't make them believe. You can't make them love Jesus. And then uh, when we called for baptisms, this, this, uh, this girl came up. And I just want to show you this video because it's very meaningful to me. And hopefully you can see it's a little dark because we don't normally film the baptisms, but it, it just worked out. So I told you it was dark. This is Sabrina. And I want to introduce her because uh, she brought up this letter that I wrote that was postmarked March 3rd, 1996 when uh, we dedicated her as a baby. And it says, uh, and then we put it in an envelope that says, don't open until January 5th, 2008. Um, And it says, about 12 years ago, your parents stood with me before the church congregation. You were just a baby in their arms. It was at that time that your parents publicly dedicated themselves to loving you and caring for you in a way that is pleasing to God. 
the whole congregation prayed for your parents that they'd be able to provide this type of love and care through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also prayed for you. We dedicated you to the Lord and asked that he protect you, draw you near to him, and help you to live in a way that's honoring to him. Now it's your 12th birthday. You reach an age when you can understand what it means to believe in Jesus and to live for him. If you have not made a decision to believe in Jesus as your Savior and to follow him as your Lord, then it's my prayer and that of your parents that you do so today. Then you can celebrate two birthdays at once, your physical one as well as your spiritual rebirth. We pray that you make this decision for yourself because we've made the same decision for ourselves and it's the most meaningful thing we've ever done. If you've trusted in Jesus at this time as Savior and Lord, then be sure to thank him for that gift of eternal life. It's far more precious than any present you'll receive on your birthday. Also, thank your parents for their Christian love and example. Let them know how grateful you are for all they've done for you. A pastor privilege to dedicate you. Francis Chan. Isn't that crazy? And I thought, there's no way that this is coincidence that on the weekend we talk about this. That she walks up with this letter about, you know what? I'm 12. I read that letter. And that faith is my own. I want to be in that first seat. I'm not living off the faith of my parents when they dedicated me as a baby. This is my own. And, you know, she was born right around the same time as my daughter was. And the uh, crazy thing about this girl here is you talk about a miracle. Her mom, Jamie, when she was pregnant with Sabrina, was told that the baby had died in her womb. And so they had the DNC. They had the DNC to remove Sabrina because they were told the baby had died. They were done with the DNC, and the doctors say, you know what, we didn't get all of the baby. And so let's check what happened. They look in her womb again, and the baby is alive. I had never heard of anything like that in my life. And at that moment, we knew, okay, God, I've never heard of that. She had the DNC and they missed her? You were fast. <laughs> A doctor said that she was dead and her baby, the baby's gone. It was a sad, sad time. I remember walking with Bruce and Jamie through that. And then for this miracle, and now you're about to watch her get baptized. Yes, this is an awesome morning. This is an awesome service. God is doing something. And so it is just an absolute rush for me to baptize Sabrina Watson, a baby that was dedicated to the Lord, who was here because God created her and wanted on her, her on this earth so she could sit on that first chair and do something in his name.
was not the coolest thing in the world. Man, it, it just, I just remember that time. And I was talking to Bruce and Jamie, your parents, afterwards. And I'm going, you know, I bet everyone in there thinks I'm lying about the DNC. Because it's just too out of this world. It's too unbelievable. I mean, how do you miss a baby? How does that ever happen? How did you say, you know, check it over and over again. Yep, it's not beating. It's not beating. This baby's dead. Let's remove this baby. And you go and you remove it and you missed. Or was the hand of God on this little girl and saying, I I mean, just just baptizing her and talking with her parents afterwards. We just stood there going, okay, what in the world is God up to with this girl's life? Like, why is Sabrina on this planet? Like God has some major, massive, amazing life planned out for her. So I don't know. It was just such a cool time. So I'm glad we had the video and we could share that with you because it was just one of those moments where everyone walked out in awe of God. Because you, you can't praise her parents. You can't praise anyone that raised her. You can't praise her for really dodging the DNC thing. You know, <laughs> I, I was joking about that if anyone was curious. You know, it, it, uh, it's just you just walk away go, God, you know what? You're doing something in that girl's life. And her faith is real, you know? I mean, she is in love with Jesus, and it's not just something her parents taught her and did to her or whatever else. And so, I don't know. It's just, I love when God works that way, when things just happen and you're not expecting them. And uh, rather than let's do another church service, another sermon, it's like, God, why don't you show up and kind of blow us away? I want to... Um, take you to a passage of scripture, uh, Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 12, I, I, Paul says a really strange verse. Um, he says this, a very strange thing. He says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me. Have you ever said that to anyone? I'm begging you, would you be more like me? Isn't that just a weird sentence? Okay, I've said it a few times, but you know, no, I'm kidding. It's just that who would say that? Become like me. It sounds so arrogant. It sounds like, well, what are you talking about? Become more like you. But you got to understand the heart behind the statement. What Paul is saying here, remember, he's speaking to these Galatians. He's speaking to these people, this church, that, that he, he, you know, he loved these people. He led them to the Lord. They fell in love with Jesus. But then these people came in, these kind of cult members came in and said, well, it's not about Jesus. It's about doing this, doing, doing this, doing this. You can earn your own righteousness, all of this stuff. And these people are starting to fall away. And, and Paul, the reason why he writes this here, he's been giving them all these theological arguments of explaining to them why these people are wrong and saying, no, this is the way you're supposed to, this is what the Bible says. And he goes to the Old Testament, explains Moses, explains Abraham, explains everything Jesus did on the cross. But then here in Galatians 4 verse 12, he kind of stops the theological arguments for a moment. He kind of stops... Uh, Stops going to scripture just for a few verses and he just shares his heart with the people. And when he says, you guys, I wish you would become like me. His point was, you guys, I am so happy. I am so at peace. I have so much joy. I have so much life. 
And it is so good to walk with Jesus. It is so good to be secure. It's so good when, man, you just know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves me as his kid. I'm not down on this earth trying to strive and earn his love. It's just so good. And I know one day I'm going to die and I'm going to inherit everything that is God's. I'm an heir of the kingdom. I'm so pumped up, so fired up. I love life so much. And I wish you could experience what I'm experiencing. That's what Paul's saying. Haven't you wanted that for people before? Where, you know, those times when you're so close to God, you're just going, I wish my friends could get this. I wish my family understood this. It is so good to walk with God. I found this life that I've never had before. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, man, I wish you could be like me. I wish you would quit all of this striving, 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 trying to earn God's love and just accept it and understand it and enjoy it. I wish you could get rid of all that junk in your life that's keeping you from God and just enjoy how much better he is. And so he's just saying, you know what, aside from all these arguments and showing you scripture, here's my heart. I wish you guys would get it. I wish you guys could just love Jesus like I do because life is so good with him and those are probably words you've said to people you know or feelings you've expressed to people you love and they're not getting it they're not getting it and it's killing you because you're going no god is so good jesus is so good and so paul's saying man okay forget the arguments i'm begging you now just get what i've got enjoy this again because that's what they used to have he says become like me for i became like you You've done me no wrong. And he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Okay, so Paul here, he's not going to to Old Testament. He's just sharing his heart now with the people. He goes, man, do you remember the way it used to be? Remember how we had such a great relationship? He goes, you guys loved me. I loved you. We were so happy. We're in love with Jesus. And he goes, what's going on now? He goes, I come back to visit this place. And I'm telling you again, you know, I'm writing this letter and telling you the stuff that we all agreed on and now suddenly i'm your enemy now you hate me just for telling you the truth he goes what happened we were such good friends man when i read that i thought gosh that's exactly the way i felt sometimes where people in this church that man we were so tight some of my best friends but then they decided to start going a different direction and i look at them i go dude you you can't do you, you can't just leave your wife and suddenly they become my, uh, suddenly I'm their enemy? I'm going, dude, I've been telling you this for 10 years and we were so tight. We were such good friends and, and now you're mad because I'm telling you the same thing I've been saying all along? I mean, hasn't that happened to you? Where people, you, it, it, that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing about living down here on this earth is, you know, you have these people that you're so close to and you're walking with God together and suddenly they go a different direction and you're going, no, don't go there, don't go there. And they're going, you know what, I don't want to hear it anymore. And suddenly you become their enemy for telling the truth. That's what's going on with Paul here. 
And Paul just reminds him, he goes, remember how good it was? He goes, he goes, man, when I first met you guys, he goes, remember when I first met you guys, I was like deathly sick. He goes, man, and, and, and people speculate on what, what was this disease that Paul had, because we, we know that he had some disease with his eyes. Um, he didn't have good vision. Some say it was from malaria, possibly, because he's in these swampy regions below Galatia, Pamphylia. And, and, and there was a possibility that he left that region because it got so bad, his sickness got so bad. So the only reason why he ever visited Galatia was to get healed and to feel better and go into this higher region. But as he's there, obviously Paul never stops telling people about Jesus and he begins to fall in love with these people. And he he tells them, he goes, remember when I came? He goes, I came because I was sick. And he goes, remember how good you guys were to me? He goes, you guys didn't look at him, look at me and go, wow, look at that guy. He's falling apart, you know, bummer. Here's a burden to take on. He goes, no, you guys treated me like an angel. He goes, you treated me like I was an angel of God or something, the way you cared for me, the way we loved each other. And then he goes, he goes, and I can testify that some of you guys, some of you loved me so much that you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me if you could have. And he's reminding them, he goes, remember how in love we were? Remember how you used to thank me for teaching the word of God? And how I used to just be in love with you guys? He goes, it hasn't changed on my part. I'm still telling you the same thing. I'm still loving you the same way, but now suddenly I'm your enemy. See, it, it would be, it'd be very much like if I, if I walked, you know, and went somewhere else and was ministering overseas or something like that, and then I come back to Simi Valley and suddenly all of you hate me and you're believing something else. It'd be like me coming back, boy, what happened? Remember the times we used to spend in this room? Remember how much fun we had in this room and we would worship and we would scream and we'd be cheering for God? Remember, you know, watching the baptisms and you remember all the miracles we saw in this room and experienced? Remember how good life was? What's going on here? And, 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 and I can testify, man, I don't know most of you. But some of you I know pretty well and we've got this history and we've had years under our belt. And I could say with Paul that I, I bet you that there are, I bet you there are people in this room that you and I are so tight that you literally, if I were going to blind and you could, you'd give me one, maybe, maybe one of them, right? Right? You know, it wouldn't fit on my little eyes, but you know, but still you would, uh, like there's that that love relationship where you go oh yeah francis man you know and and there's just this uh this bond that we've had over the years right and so that's what paul is going he's just appealing going you guys remember everything we experienced don't you remember that what happened to you he goes you 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 lost your joy i mean i remember when you were walking with god and how good things were and then everything's gone now and uh, he, he says in verse 17, he goes, these people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. Because I'm perplexed about you. Paul's writing this letter because he's hearing these rumors and going, man, you guys hate me now? After all of that, I'm, I'm confused here, he goes. He goes, I wish I could be there with you. I love you guys. 
but you're my enemy now? He goes, I'm completely confused. He goes, things were so good. He goes, I thought you got it. He goes, but obviously you didn't get it. He goes, because I'm feeling the pains of childbirth again. He goes, I'm like a woman in labor, which I hear hurts. And, And it's this idea of, Man, he goes, man, I labored for you. And I thought, I thought, wow, look at these people. After all that labor, they're born again. They have found Jesus. He goes, but I'm looking at you. And he's saying, Christ was never formed in you. He goes, I gave birth to something that never was completed. Like, I don't see Christ in your life. Yeah, maybe you sing, maybe you, you made some profession or whatever, but I'm looking at your life and you don't look anything like Jesus Christ. In fact, you've gone back the other way. You've gone back to the way you used to be. And he's saying, now I'm feeling like I've got to start all over. He's saying, now I feel like I'm dealing with the, the, the childbirth thing all over again. And he says, I'm perplexed by you. Here's the deal. You know what I want to do this weekend? As I was reading this passage and all it is was Paul was just laying out his heart for the people. And I thought, you know what? I'd like to do that. Is let's put aside the theological arguments for a moment. And let me just share why I do what I do and what this is all about. Okay, so let me, if I can take off the, the church hat, the pastor hat, whatever else you think this is about a church service sermon time. Um, I really have one huge desire for me and for you. This is the biggest thing in my life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. The verse says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. It's talking about the master returning, it's talking about Jesus coming. And that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Look, I'm not going to say I don't care what you think about me, but I don't care a whole lot, okay, what you think of me in that sense or what people think of me. In comparison to this, my whole life, I want to live it in such a way that when I die and I'm actually standing before God, Okay, the most terrifying moment of our lives. I mean, I know we're secured, everything else, but it's still freaky, right? Let's just be honest. The thought of seeing God and coming before the throne of God, there still remains a fear in us, even those of us who are secure. And it's a good fear because he's a lot greater than we are. And the thought of coming before that throne, and it could be any second, It could be before I finish this message. It's that real. Any second now, I'm going to be before that throne. And all I care about is what comes out of his mouth. And will he say those two words? As I'm trembling before the throne, I don't know if that's what it's going to be like. I'm going to see the throne, if I'm going to be trembling or what. And there's this being, but I just picture in my head and I just think, What if, as I'm before this throne of Almighty God, I hear two words come out of his mouth, well done. At that point, I go, 
okay, I did it. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, is there anything you're going to care about at that moment when you're before the throne of God? That's what this is about. Is I want to prepare you for that moment too. It's not just about me. I want to say the things I need to say, do the things I need to do and everything else. Not to win his love or anything else, but there's something about, he talks about how the way we live our lives, it, 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 earns, it does earn some eternal rewards for us. But more than that, the reward to me is to have my creator look at me, Francis Chan, this being he made, and go, well done. That is more important to me than anything else. And I, I'll be honest, it's a selfish thing. It, it, that doesn't have to do with you. Um, I don't love you more than myself or nearly as much as myself. I'm sorry to say that. I just got to confess. I really love myself. And, and first and foremost, I want to hear those words out of the mouth of God to me. There's nothing I want on this earth more than that. That's why I don't care about stuff that much. In fact, if it's better off with less stuff in order to hear those words, then give it to me. That's why I don't, I, sure, I like to be popular, I like to be loved, but you know what? More than anything, I've got to hear those words. And so if you've got to hate me in order for me to hear those words, hate me. See, and then my second desire is for my kids and my church family and you people that I've lived with so long, for you to hear those words when you come before God. And that's why there are things that I will say that some of you will hate me for. And some of you have told me that before. Man, I hated you for a while because you said that. Then I looked in Scripture and said, you know what? That is what it says. And so my life has changed. And I like that. And I pray for that. And some of you will become my enemies because I'm going to say everything that's in that book because that's what God's told me to say. And some of you are going to hate I'm going to confront you on things in your life that aren't right, that God hates. Why? Because I want you one day to hear God say, well done. And I want you one day, maybe you do listen to the word of God, and then you stand before God, and he goes, you know what? You listened to my word as it was spoken through Francis. You obeyed it. So well done. See, you know what I want? Is I, that's the moment I want. I want that for you. So then when, when Jesus says to you, when God says, well done, then you come flying over to me. Hey, thank you. You know, um, I don't even know if we get wings, but I, you know, it's just, uh, just that whole thought of, because then, it, then it's forever. You know, it's not just, hey, thanks, man, that was a cool sermon, but it's forever and ever. It's like, dude, I made some changes in my life because of some of the things you said. And I just heard God say, well done, because my obedience to that. And then forever and ever, we just rejoice, and life is really good. See, what else matters? You know, I'm not against the pleasures of this world, a lot of the stuff. I just go, you know, why does that even matter if you're thinking eternally? And so if you cut me open, I, I go, you know what, this is what you'll find. A guy that wants to hear well done from the Father, and a guy that wants his kids, his family, and his church family to hear the same thing. And... Not everyone's going to hear it. See, I, I'd love to stand up here and just say a nice, cute message and go, oh, everyone goes to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. Every, we all, we're just happy, happy, happy. And he says, well done to everyone because he's a loving God. How could he not say well done? No, he doesn't say well done to everyone. 
And he says, there's a narrow road and few are going to find it. Um, and I pray and I go, God, may we be the few that get it, that really follow you. May I lead a family and my wife and my four kids. Can we be part of the few that get it? And actually hear you say, well done to us because we made our lives count rather than getting distracted by all these things in Southern California. Can we pull it off here? But the thing I wanted to point out this week is the rest of that verse. Because he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And he's talking about heaven. And he's saying, man, if you, can, if you can deal with that little tiny stuff you do there on earth, I'll give you some serious responsibility up here. If you're faithful with those little things, man, why? because we're going to get to heaven and go, man, I can't believe I cared so much about those things on the planet. And God, because we're going to be dealing with much, much greater things in heaven. And, but the principle here, okay, and I know he's talking about heaven, you know, in, in comparison to earth, but there's a principle here that when you are faithful in the little things, when you're faithful with the little things, God then entrusts you with bigger things. And I bring this up because last weekend I talked about Heather Mercer and I talked about how, man, remember the interview and how she was abducted and she was there in Afghanistan and she was that bargaining chip for the U.S. and, 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 and the Taliban. And they had her in prison and, and, and it was worldwide news. And how now that she's escaped or, you know, where we went and rescued her and she tells her story. She goes, no, now I want to go back and keep loving those people. I'm going to go back to the Middle East. And now she's heading back to Iraq and starting that Freedom Center. And this big dream, this huge stuff. And man, how fired up you get. And, and some of you are going, you know what? I would do that. I would go with her. Or when I tell the story about that, that, uh, that lady, Kru Nam, remember her, who uh, in, in Thailand was rescuing those kids who were taken and forced into prostitution, and she'd run into these brothels and, and just grab these kids and run out and, and, and lead them to safety, and how she has like over a hundred kids now up there in, in the northern Thailand in safety, and every morning she wakes up to these kids, you know, loving them, and, and some of you are going, I want to do that, I would do that. And you know what, I believe you. I believe that there are people in this room that if I said I, I chartered a plane and I can take 50 of you with me right now. But this mean, might mean your life that we're going to lay down in order to, to help some of these orphans, to help some of these kids. I bet you there are, I could find 50 people in this room that would go with me. Because some of you are that crazy. And you look at that and go, you know what? As hard as it was last weekend to see what Heather Mercer did, I saw that and said, Lord, I would do that. My concern, I mean, I praise God that we have a church like that because that's not normal. And so I praise God for that. And praise God for your lives that would do things that big. My concern is that some of the people that probably would do something like that or might do something like that, you're not willing to do the little things. You wouldn't walk across the street and tell your neighbor about Jesus. That's crazy to you. You wouldn't go to a Christmas Eve service if it's in your neighbor's house and take communion with other believers in a neighborhood because that's just too much for you. You would never consider giving a whole 10, 15, 20% of your income to God because that's just too much for you 
You wouldn't consider walking into church, sitting down next to a stranger and actually asking them their name and asking, hey, how can I pray for you? You wouldn't consider loving your wife as Christ loved the church and raising your kids up in the ways of the Lord and actually taking time to instruct them and tell them about Jesus. You wouldn't actually go through your business and find out if there's any, anyone you're ripping off and doing things with absolute integrity. You wouldn't consider uh, stopping the internet porn or, or stopping you know, the drinking. You wouldn't consider doing those things, but you'd go overseas. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people and there's a wave of Christians now that, that, that would do the crazy things overseas because there's something about, there's some appeal to it. It's kind of sexy. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be the hero and I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do that. That looks good. That looks good. But what about these little things every day? Because Jesus says, look, when you're faithful in the little things, that's when I'll give you something big to do. And my question this morning is not, would you go with me to the ends of the earth? Would you starve to death to give food to these kids, these orphans? Because I think some of you would. I'm saying, would you obey him in the little things today? Because if you think God's going to give you this big vision and all these great things to do when you're not faithful in the little things today, you're wrong. What are the little steps of obedience that Christ is calling you to today? Because sometimes, man, I'll give you these big picture things of Pete DeSoto and El Salvador. They got shot in the neck and, you know, almost died for the kingdom. And all of us, you know, a lot of us anyways, look at that and go, I would do that. I would do that. What a rush. What about the little things? Because when he says, well done, he says it's because you're faithful with the little things. And so I'll entrust you to bigger things. It's a principle. What is it that you have to do today? I've shared my heart enough. I want to... I'm going to have one of our elders come up, Dan Lovejoy, because uh, it's interesting, this whole idea of, uh, you can come on up, um, being faithful in the little things and, and, and this idea of sharing your heart. It was interesting, Todd had asked uh, Dan to come into one of our staff meetings as one of the elders of the church and just said, Dan, would you share your heart for the church? Um, as an elder, would you share what God puts on your heart for Cornerstone Church? And he shared some thoughts that I thought, you know what? The whole church needs to hear this. Because you hear my heart, but here's the heart of uh, one of our elders. So uh, you guys welcome Dan Lovejoy. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Let him preach. You and I will talk, okay? All right. That was supposed to be funny. You can laugh now. Come on. Come on. Okay, there we go. All right. Um... I really do want to share with you my heart, and it goes back to a passage that is uh, to the very tail end of the book of Joshua. And in Joshua 24, Joshua says, and I'm going to say verses 15 and 16 about, and he says, I don't, whatever you guys do is fine, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Joshua makes a decision, and that's what he decides to do. And so we'll pretend that Joshua is here. Okay. In Judges, it says that, and just as, forgive me, as Joshua's dying, Joshua is called the servant of the Lord. It says when the servant of the Lord 
when Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. Okay, so he's recognized as the servant of the Lord. The elders of Israel, its scripture says, saw the works of God. Joshua had the works of God. The elders of Israel saw the works of God. You with me? Here's the amazing thing. Judges 2, about verse 10, says, There arose a generation that did not know God and did not know all that he had done for Joshua. They didn't even know. Well, I'd say that's a problem. You're only talking about a third generation out And they don't even know all the things that happened in Joshua's life that God did with Joshua, that God did for Joshua, that God did in Joshua's life. But here's here's where it really comes down. Joshua, again, had the works. The elders of Israel saw the works. But it doesn't say anywhere that they actually had them. That says they just saw them. And this generation, they didn't even know about. This is my dad. My dad has the works of God. I've watched them operate in his life. I've watched what God does with him. I've watched him where he is. I've watched. He has the works of God. He does, absolutely. This was me growing up. I saw the works of God, but never had them. Never had them. Um, if you listen to my father's testimony, he would say, and, and says today, when I was studying in the Word yesterday, this is what God taught me. This is what I learned. Because it's real to him. He owns it. He has a living relationship with Jesus Christ. If you listen to my testimony when I was a kid, kid, 20. Okay, from my perspective, that's still kid, so cut me some slack. Um, but from, But my testimony was I was saved at age five. I grew up in a Christian home. Hey, my dad was even a pastor for a while. And... I went to a Christian school, and I got to memorize verses every week for Bible class. And I went on a missions trip when I was 20. That's my testimony. What did God do yesterday? (laughs) Well, uh, I'm not really sure. Because I spent my youth and a good portion of my life riding on the coattails of of my dad's faith. He owned it. Lock, stock, and barrel. This was his. I rode along with him. I did. What concerns me about this passage in Joshua and Judges is that this looks absolutely real. Do you agree? Thanks. Okay. I'm just still making sure you're there. Lights are bright. I can't see This is real. This looks hypocritical. Because this has all the right words, 
but it doesn't have any feet. And when this generation looks at this generation, they see, they see hypocritical and they don't want anything to do with it. Right? They don't want anything to do with it. They'll say, you know what? Grandpa's faith, that was good. Your faith, your faith is junk. I don't want anything to do with it because obviously it isn't real. When this person prays, it's God. We had an hour and a half conversation yesterday morning, and I loved it. And I want to pick up where we left off. When this person prays, the prayer they know is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's all they've got. Because it isn't real, they haven't owned it. There's no... This this group knows about God. This group believes. They may be believers. They may be real believers. This group is convicted. Do you understand the difference between knowing, believing, and conviction? Okay. Um... I am convinced that I cannot play basketball. I don't just know it. I don't just believe it. I am convinced. There is a difference between these things, right? Okay. The same is true of Scripture. We may know Scripture. We may even believe it. But until we own it, until we are absolutely convinced of it, We haven't owned our faith. Um, The problem is, partially, that my goal... Well, let's back up for a second. Often you hear testimonies about someone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they are, as Francis said earlier, very sexy. They're very very big. Um, I was the local drug dealer. Uh, actually, I wasn't the local drug dealer. I was the drug dealer for all of the San Fernando Valley. And God found me one day, and I'm saved. And let me tell you about my life now. What's this testimony? I grew up in a Christian home. I was a good kid. I barely even know what sin is. Much less understand the concept of salvation completely. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you right now that that's exactly the kind of children we're raising. And we're not doing... We're, I'm, I'm going to say we're not trying to keep them out of the things of God. We're not trying to keep them from conviction. But we're doing everything we can to teach them beliefs. But in our effort to keep them away from these phenomenal views of salvation that we hear in testimonies so often, We impart to them the things of God. We take them to Sunday school. We do everything we can to make sure that they're believers. Yet we give them the idea that salvation is this huge thing because that's all we ever see. Salvation is a huge thing. I don't mean to minimize that, but what I'm saying is that what we present sometimes is this massive turn and this huge thing. And 
our own kids, or take this a different way, the people you're discipling, the people you care about, the people you love, have to see that Christ is real in your life so that, they, so, that they, so that he can be real in theirs. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. I'd love to give you a fix-it. I really would. Everything within me says, okay, here is the magic formula for taking those people I know and moving them from this chair into this one. It isn't. Um, Joshua made a decision. As for me and my house, we will. Conscious choice. No decision here. There was no conscious choice. Um, if we sit in this chair, this seat looks at this one and says, this is fake. Is it any reason sometimes that our kids look at our faith and say, I don't want any part of it? and go clear out in left field like I did because they never saw it hit the ground. Um, One of the things I like to do, and I am far from perfect at it, is I make lots of effort to talk to my kids about, here, here's what we're praying about right now. Here's what we're trying to do right now. Here's what we're talking about right now so that they can watch God work. So that, this, so that if there are works of God that I have, that they can have ownership in them. But it's not perfect. And until those who you're discipling or your kids own, own their faith, they're going to look like this. I don't think we want them to. I don't think you want to. Um... My heart for Cornerstone is that this isn't a chair. It's a giant futon that we all sit in together. I want us to be not... I like that we know. It's good that we believe. My heart for Cornerstone is that we are convinced. And that's my heart. I want you to see it. There, it's not just about me, but there are leaders here in the church. There's leaders in this room. There's leaders in your neighborhood with that type of heart that go, you know what, I want to hear. Because, okay, here, and what I'm experiencing is I'm working with the third gen. I'm working with these college students, right, that are so on fire and everything else. But you know what they're saying? They're saying, I don't want to be like my parents. That's a sad statement. I don't want to have a faith like my mom and dad do that just go to church and do their little deal, but it's not alive. I don't see anything real. I don't see God moving. I want to be like my grandpa. I'm hearing that a lot. In fact, the other, just last night, this, this girl was telling me, she, this Korean gal, she was saying how her grandfather, her grandfather was a pastor in Korea during World War II. When, when the, the, and the Japanese, you know, at that time, it was, it was illegal to do what he did. So he was imprisoned, he was tortured, and then he was killed. And she just had this smile on her face of, man, that's my grandpa. 
She just had this joy, this pride. I'm going to be like my grandpa. You know, and so many, I'm just seeing, there's just too many people that are in this chair. And then you go, man, my kids don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Man, I totally believe him. I went to church every week and everything. Yeah, but did you really show them a life where you're feeling and experiencing and seeing and just where they go, man, I, I want to have a marriage like my parents. I want to have their joy, their life, their peace. And that's still no guarantee that they'll ever get here. Believe me, man, because that kills me. I wish I could just force my kids to sit here. You know, I mean, don't you all? Just just want your kids here, but you can't do that. And that drives me crazy because I can show her the life and show. And that's the same. That's what Paul's doing. Man, I wish you would become like me. But can you even say that to your kids? I wish you would become like me because I'm seeing a lot of parents go, man, I wish you could become like grandpa. Or I wish you could become like that person. Don't follow my example because I'm not really passionately in love with Jesus right now. I believe I go to church and I do some nice things and nothing too bad. But I wish you could be like that. And you have this desire for your kids rather than sitting in this chair owning your faith and telling your friends, your neighbors, your kids, oh, I wish you could be more like me because it feels so good to experience God every day, see him working, and he's giving me a life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of this, and I want it for you. So that's our prayer for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the worship team come up. And um, before we sing, they're going to read some quotes. Um, I shared my heart. Dan shared his heart. But it's interesting because there are believers. There have been followers of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years that have made some statements. Um, people who sat on that first chair. And I want them to minister to us right now. I want you to hear their words. And if any time during the worship you need prayer or you want to get baptized, then uh, feel free to come up here to the prayer room. Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. You are saved. Seek to be like your Savior. No sacrifice can be too great to make for him who gave his life for me. Not as I will, but as you will. Beware of reasoning about God's word. Obey it. Our only business is to love and delight ourselves in God. Without Christ, not one step. With Him, anywhere. God alone satisfies. When Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let my heart be broken with the things that break God's heart. We who have Christ's eternal life need to throw away our own lives. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. 
end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why do you need a voice when you have a verse? As long as I see anything to be done for God, life is worth having. But oh, how vain and unworthy is it to live for any lower end. What are we here for? To have a good time with Christians or to save sinners? From my many years' experience, I can unhesitatingly say that the cross bears those who bear the cross. The more obstacles you have, the more opportunities there are for God to do something. I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. It's amazing what can be accomplished if you don't worry about who gets the credit. That I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies. All of them should be devoted to no other employment but to preach Christ to those degraded, despised, yet beloved mortals. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. Here am I. Send me. You can give without loving cannot love without giving. Resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain great things from God, attempt great things for God. He must increase, but I must decrease. Live in Christ, live in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make of all is, God is with us. Farewell.